The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Schizophrenia Community Radio. By listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio, you'll be joining, supporting, and gaining strength from the schizophrenia community. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 14 of Schizophrenia Community Radio. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from medical practice. Our topic today is Towards a National Policy on decriminalizing mental illness in Canada. Now, the, here's some background. The John Howard Society of Ontario in August 8, 2015, August 18 to be exact, issued its report, Unlocking Change, Decriminalizing Mental Health Issues in Ontario. It says, this is the report, it says that Ontario must stop relying on the justice system as a key responder to individuals who have mental health issues. And the report provides recommendations aimed at shifting Ontario toward prevention. It, that is the report, explains that Ontario is fighting a losing battle, one that it cannot afford to punish people for their mental health issues. And it, the report comments that the criminal justice system has become a warehouse for people whose mental health issues have gone untreated or undetected in the community. Now, a second piece of background is that on September 8, 2015, our show, Schizophrenia Community Radio, broadcast the episode Criminal Responsibility When Schizophrenia Harms Others. Psychologist Dr. Laurie Triano Antidormi talks with Chris about the killing of her own young son by a woman living with paranoid schizophrenia. The two of them, that is she and Chris, discuss the changes they want or they don't want to see in the criminal justice systems and healthcare systems. All of which is why our topic towards a national policy on decriminalizing mental illness in Canada is so important, not only for the schizophrenia community, but also the mental health community generally. Now, to discuss it, our guests are Catherine Latimer and Dr. Chris Somerville. Catherine has been the executive director of the John Howard Society of Canada since 2011. Previously, she was a policy lawyer for the federal government, providing analysis and policy advice for the departments of the Solicitor General, the Privy or Privy, Privy Council Office, and Justice uh, as well, and had a lead responsibility in the development of the Youth Criminal Justice Act. Her law degree is from Queen's University, Kingston, and her master's in criminology is from Cambridge University, and she is a Broadbent Fellow. Chris is CEO of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada and executive director of the Manitoba Schizophrenia Society. 
He serves on numerous boards and committees. With an earned doctorate, he is certified with the International Association of Psychosocial Rehabilitation Services as a psychosocial rehabilitation practitioner and as an intervention trainer with Living Works. As a family member and a recipient of psychiatric services, he sees mental illness as an issue in social justice as well as health. So, first question for you, Catherine, please. Please tell us about your work as Executive Director of the John Howard Society. Sure, happy to Happy to do so. Uh, the John Howard Society is a charity that is committed to just, effective, and humane um, correction systems and justice systems. And we offer uh, frontline services in about 60 uh, communities across the country. Uh, my job as the executive director is to kind of provide a bit of a chapeau uh, in terms of uh, organization, but also to really comment on uh, federal legislation and policies uh, and to provide advice where I can. Right. Chris, same question. Please tell us about your work as CEO of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada. Chris? It's been my pleasure to be the CEO of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada for nearly nine years. And my role is similar to that of Catherine. Uh, I think we both would say that we're advocates, that we're activists, and we're community workers. And uh, the mission of the Schizophrenia Society is to improve the quality of life for those affected by schizophrenia and psychosis. Now, we do that by working in association with 10 provincial schizophrenia societies. And we uh, provide public education, uh, support, advocacy, and, and research. Now, Catherine, I want to go back to the work of the John Howard Society, especially as it relates to decriminalizing mental illness and within mental illness, schizophrenia. So please tell us more about the work of the society. Catherine? Sure. Well, we actually have a five-point plan to try and improve the correction system in Canada. And the... Um, the third point on there is to treat rather than punish mental illness. And we believe it's a sort of a priority area because far too many people who are suffering from mental health problems are drifting into the criminal justice system and into the correction system. And really, those systems are not well uh, suited to dealing with those mental health issues. So people, not only is it unfair in terms of people not really having the capacity to frame a criminal intent and, and being treated as criminal, but we also feel that once they're in the system, they're dealt with in, in, in an inhumane fashion given their uh, constellation of issues. Back to you, Chris. Please tell us about the work of the Schizophrenia Society of Canada, especially as it relates, that is your work, relates to decriminalizing mental illness with a particular reference to schizophrenia. Chris? Well, first of all, we really do appreciate the work of the John Howard Society, and uh, we feel that it's um, kindred spirit, and we're really appreciative of the report that you spoke about in your introduction. Uh, we don't feel that the correctional system or the, the justice system or the prison system, to be blunt, it's, it's not a place for people struggling with a mental illness, especially if it's an enduring mental illness. And by enduring, I mean a severe, persistent mental illness such as bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or, or psychosis. But unfortunately, uh, in North America, 
both in Canada and the United States, the largest mental health asylum, and that's basically what they they become, uh, are prison are prisons, and uh, you don't want to be there. I mean, no one wants should be there or wants to be there, obviously, but um, it's certainly not a place for someone who is struggling with a mental illness. Right. Back to you, Catherine. You used an interesting phrase. You talked about people drifting in to the criminal justice system. Please, first of all, clarify that I've got that phrase correct. And if I hadn't, haven't corrected, but please talk more about it. Catherine? Sure. I mean, it's been our perspective that um, there needs to be a lot more mental health services being offered in the communities. And many of the people who have gone on to commit acts where they have found, where they have actually hurt people and been found not criminally responsible or been found guilty of the offense, they've actually sought out help and treatment in advance, and many times uh, that was not available to them in the community. So that's a real problem. We also worry that back in the, what was it, 60s or 70s, when they deinstitutionalized a lot of mental health facilities, the idea was that those people would be supported um, with their mental health issues in the community. And we don't see that there's nearly enough support being put in place uh, for people in the community. So there tends to be, and then they, they will... Uh, you know, act out in ways that attract the attention of the authorities. And instead of the issue being treated as a mental health issue, it will be treated as a criminal issue and they will come into the criminal justice system. And that's a real tragedy in and of itself. We need to put much more emphasis on, on dealing with mental health issues in the communities. Right. Chris, um, you spoke about the Schizophrenia Society of Canada, and obviously it has a major role in advocacy um, at every level, but particularly with government and the healthcare systems. Do, does the society provide any direct services to individuals or family caregivers who are caught up in what Catherine was just talking about? Chris? Well, the Schizophrenia Society of Ontario has a very strong um, justice element to their work, and they do provide a, a lot of counsel and advice to families that are involved with the criminal justice uh, system. Uh, and then other societies, um, uh, for example, BC, uh, they will often provide one-on-one -on -one services. Uh, they'll go to a correctional uh, system um, and, uh, you know, provide one-on-one -on -one support and, and uh, often um, support groups for those who have a mental illness uh, in, the, in the prison system. Just to pursue that a little bit further, that is to say what I'll call the provincial groups are providing, let's call it the clinical service or the mental health care service, whereas the Society of Canada, the Schizophrenia Society of Canada, is really the advocacy policy level of con contributing to, to Canada as, in effect, a nation. Is that right? Chris? Right, right. At, at a, we do our advocacy at a, at a federal level or a national level. We try to speak, you know, uh, similarly as, as does the John Howard Society. Right. Um, and I'm going to foreshadow a question I'm going to be asking you later on. No need for a reply, but it'll come to both of you. Well, what about 
um, the uh, John Howard Society of Canada and the Schizophrenia Society of Canada working more closely together. But we're not there yet, so we've got some work to do before we get to that question. Now, um, it's time that we take the break, so we'll do that now. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guests are Catherine Latimer and Dr. Chris Somerville. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Most successful people have a strategy for their personal and professional advancement. They understand the value of learning from other people who know how to reach their goals and enjoy their lives. You can live life on your terms at home, work, play, and in the community. Join Lori and industry leaders as they share practical insights with you. Only on In It Together with Lori Lynn Green. Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Catherine Latimer and Dr. Chris Somerville. Our topic is towards a national policy on decriminalizing mental illness in Canada. So both of you, please, let's talk about what you see as the main challenges facing individuals with living, living with mental health disabilities and their families and family caregivers when they become involved in the criminal justice system. So Catherine, for you, first question. Please highlight for us what you see as the main challenges facing individuals living with mental health disabilities when they become involved with the criminal justice system. Catherine? 
Sure. I'll, I'll try and hit the high points because there's a lot of challenges uh, that people with um, mental health issues face in the criminal justice system. But I think one that bears note is the actual criminal code definition of the defense of mental um, NCR, not criminally responsible as a result of mental illness. And this is really uh, a legacy from 1843 McNaughton rules about uh, the understanding of mental health issues at that time. And it's still the definition that the courts are using today. And we know a lot more about what mental health issues uh, do to capacity to be uh, to frame a criminal intent in order for a crime to be committed there must be both the act and there must be the capacity to frame the criminal intent uh, to to understand the nature and consequences of the behavior and to appreciate that it's wrong in order for there to actually be a crime so the whole science medical science that underpins that definition really needs to be looked at and and brought up to date the other problem is that um, the system is really based on people with cognitive capacities so that you, you understand causality. If you do this, this will follow. And so it means that the propensity of the, of the criminal justice system to impose conditions of behavior is very strong. And many people um, who are facing uh, mental illness and mental health barriers have difficulty actually complying uh, with one of the key tenets of the criminal justice system. So that's also a problem. So anything that's a community-based sentence, whether it's bail or probation, runs into problems. And the other problem is, if they are actually sentenced to custody, our custodial facilities are generally overcrowded, violent, um, rule-oriented, and, and not really accommodating of people who, who see and understand the world in a different way and need, need medical assistance. So they fare actually very badly when they're in, the, um, in, a, in an actual detention facility or in jail. Right, and that's a major challenge. Now, yeah. Chris, please highlight for us what you see as the main challenges facing the families and family caregivers of individuals living with mental health disabilities who become involved with the criminal justice system. Chris? Well, first of all, we need to be very clear that we're, we're talking about a small percentage of, of people. Uh, only about 5% of people with a mental illness uh, come in conflict uh, with the law. Um, so we don't want to perpetuate the myth that because you have a mental illness, you're automatically violent. Um, more violence is done towards people with mental illness than people with mental illness acting out in violence. Uh, to answer the question specifically, I mean, if someone uh, does commit a crime, they shouldn't have to become involved with the criminal justice system. They should become involved with the mental health system. And even prior to even committing a crime. Uh, sometimes uh, families will call the police and will lay a charge uh, so as to, to try to get some psychiatric or mental health help. The second thing is uh, we strongly believe in diversion programs and so there's pre-booking diversion which is instead of taking someone to the remand center or booking them, uh, take them to the hospital uh, if it's noticeable that the person is obviously in distress, struggling from some emotional or mental health problem. And in terms of post-booking, we support the concept of mental health courts. And uh, the first one was uh, in Toronto, and we have one in Winnipeg, and, and they've proven to be 
very successful. I mean, the one in Winnipeg uh, where I work um, is amazing, the results I, I sit on the advisory committee for it. And then uh, if arrested, uh, another problem is many families just can't afford bail. And then if you wind up in the remand center, I mean, I get a lot of calls from family members who are saying, uh, saying that their son or daughter is in the remand center, and that's like a bottomless pit. And uh, oftentimes people uh, grow sicker, become sicker rather, uh, than, than getting better. And then getting a lawyer who understands mental illness and, and uses it properly and appropriately as a, as a defense, if it's warranted as a part of the defense, I mean, people with mental illnesses can commit um, crimes and, and, and have capacity and, and, and have intent, motive of intent. And, um, but, but still, you know, they need to be represented uh, properly. And then finally, uh, families worry because uh, prison is the worst place to, to have a mental illness. Right. Uh, Catherine, back to you. The main challenges facing individuals living with mental health disabilities who become involved with court-ordered bail conditions. I think you've already touched on that, but please mm -hmm. say more. Catherine? Sure. Um, there are huge problems. And I, just to echo what Chris has said, you have many um, – I've, I've heard from many family members who have a, a child or a family member with a mental health issue and are sort of hoping that the police become involved, that there's some sort of incident that precipitates the police becoming involved. And it's really, you know, not a desirable way for people to reach out and try and, and, and obtain some health, help for their uh, loved one who has a mental health issue. There are huge problems, um, as, as Chris has mentioned, with far too many people, particularly at the provincial level, uh, Manitoba and Ontario are particularly bad for this, w being uh, behind bars before they've even been found guilty or sentenced for an offense while they're awaiting bail. And if you breach conditions while you're, if you have been able to be released, there's a presumption that you should be detained. So you get a lot of people who may have, uh, may have been unable to really comply and understand the conditions who are being put back into uh, a very undesirable situation, which is to be locked up in a remand facility awaiting their trials. So there's huge challenges around that. Right. Back to you, Chris. The main challenges facing individuals who are living with mental health disabilities who require mental health care, that is to say the people because of their conditions require mental health care, and, uh, and uh, who, these are people who become involved with the criminal justice system. What are the challenges, the main challenges there? Chris? Well, let me uh, again dispel another myth that many listeners might have, and, and that is most people with mental illnesses or mental health problems are, are not disabled. In fact, in terms of uh, severe and persistent mental illness, uh, about 1.5% uh, or 2% of those with a mental illness would be, be termed as having a severe and persistent mental illness like schizophrenia. Uh, I think that the individual living with the mental illness or mental health disability, uh, they themselves want good legal representation and, and representation who understand uh, mental illness and to use that information appropriately as, as part of their defense. And I, I think also just getting and receiving adequate care and treatment um, 
I think um, many worry about that and uh, are very fearful uh, about isolation uh, in prisons and um, the, the torment, uh, the, the bullying that can go on. Um, and uh, I think also um, it would, the best thing is if we had more forensic units or, or hospitals or, or people getting treatment earlier because most mental illnesses, 75% of mental illnesses develop in late childhood and early adolescence. And we know that the earlier you intervene, the less likely you are to go on to develop full-blown mental illness, uh, even severe persistent mental illness. Right. Now, let's go back to Catherine. Um, you, um, you basically said, not in so many words, but you, you, you said in effect the police are not a substitute for care. And you were describing situations where sometimes families would prefer the police to be involved because, if I understood you right, that's the only way they can get the care that, or attention that they need. Um, what is the solution to that particular problem? Um, I think that it's, as I, as I mentioned earlier, there needs to be more resources in the community uh, to deal with uh, issues that are arising so that parents and loved ones can get the support they need independently of the police. Um, I, I believe the police, many police forces, have gone some distance to try and, and find more accommodating ways of dealing with people with mental health issues. But it's not their favorite thing to do. This is not what they were trained for, and um, it, it creates real problem, problems for them. So I think if there were more, you know, community clinics and resource people um, that even the police could turn to and say, I think we've, we've arrested someone who may have a mental health issue, could you, could you give us some advice on what to do? That would be most desirable. Right. Chris, just a very quick question to you. That means, from, if I've taken it correctly from what Catherine was saying, the police need somewhere or some place or some authority to refer one of these unfortunate individuals to when the need arises. Is that something that in your policies you're promoting that idea, somewhere to refer? Chris? Well, we attempt to at a provincial level, and that does bring up another issue, and, and that is the adequate and proper training of uh, law enforcement officers in terms of how to de-escalate and, and handle uh, a mental health uh, situation. And unfortunately, uh, we, we don't have a consistent national policy of police training uh, that that reflects evidence-based practice of, of dealing with people whom they would come, you know, come in contact with that have a mental illness. Right. Okay. Now, this is the point again where we take the break. Um, as I often say, this is the time when we have to pay the rent. So we'll do that <laughs> now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Catherine Latimer and Dr. Chris Somerville. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? 
Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's doc, letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Catherine Latimer and Dr. Chris Somerville. Our topic is Towards a National Policy on Decriminalizing Mental Illness in Canada. Now, both of you, let's talk about what you see as the ways in which a national policy for Canada could help overcome the main challenges that you've been talking about and their families, the individuals living with the mental health issues and their families when they become involved in the criminal justice system. Now, Catherine, please highlight for us what you see as the ways in which a national policy for Canada could help overcome these challenges we've been talking about. Catherine? Well, I'd be happy to offer some suggestions because I think this would, would take a great deal of, of thought and effort to come up with a, with a big strategy because it's a huge problem. But as I mentioned, I think the, the definition of what constitutes a defense of mental illness really needs to be looked at. And maybe we can look at some diminished responsibility um, in, in certain circumstances and, and an interface with, you know, uh, evidence and people who are medically trained on that would be a great, um, a great help. Uh, the other thing that we can do is, as you were pointing out, find better off-ramps for the criminal justice system to refer people, uh, not treat certain incidences as criminal, but treat them as mental health issues where our overarching objective is to treat the person and not to hold them accountable. And I think there are, are many things that could be done. My own view is that the 
uh, NCR process had been working fairly well, uh, but recent amendments that have been made to the not criminally responsible provisions of the criminal code are not particularly helpful, and some of those should actually be reversed um, so that you're not um, stigmatized and treated as a... Um, a higher risk uh, in certain circumstances uh, if you have mental mental illness. And I think that there are, you know, uh, things that we should be looking at in terms of how people with mental illness, particularly schizophrenia and some of the more serious mental health problems, are actually treated while they're in the correction system. And one of the things that John Howard Society is very concerned about is the tendency for people in the federal prisons and in the provincial prisons to end up in administrative segregation or long-term solitary confinement, which we know is actually likely to worsen their underlying mental health conditions. So that's a, that's a really key problem and something that I think needs to be addressed relatively quickly. Right. I'm going to ask Chris now, um, to highlight for us what you see as the ways in which a national policy for Canada could help overcome the main challenges facing families and family caregivers. Obviously, we're talking about a family living with some kind of mental health disability. Chris, what do you see as the ways the national policy might help? Well, first of all, we, we wouldn't be criminalizing people with mental illness. Uh, that's just a matter of fact. If we had reform in two areas, we need... Um, uh, criminal justice system reform, and then we need mental health reform, uh, and we need a robust mental health system. We are actually in a mental health crisis in this country uh, in terms of numbers, lack of resources, and lack of capacity. Uh, second, uh, we wouldn't be institutionalizing or warehousing people without adequate treatment. I mean, for those that uh, were serving a time in a correctional setting, we would be providing the best uh, mental health services possible uh, as good as you get in a forensic unit at a, at a mental health hospital. And if we did that, thirdly, we would create a more just society built on compassion and care with a reform in the two areas that I mentioned. Right. Catherine, please highlight for us what you see as the ways in which a national policy for Canada could help overcome the challenges that you've identified with what I call court-ordered bail conditions. What do you see as the way forward there, Catherine? Well, I think you're, you're entirely correct that um, our problem is, in many cases, the remand populations, and that has to do with access to bail and access to alternatives uh, prior to the court process. And there are far too many people who are being detained in, in um, detention centers awaiting uh, an outcome on their cases. And if there was adequate um, mental health supports for people, um, if they are even going the criminal route, and I do agree with a lot of what Chris has said in that, in that um, you know, it would be better if some of these incidents were not treated as criminal and went right to a, a treatment model. But if you are trying to hold people accountable for their wrongdoing, it would be better if they were in the communities awaiting their trial and getting the kind of support and treatment that their conditions require. Catherine, can I just ask you to expand on that a little bit? I've heard um, that part of the problem is that 
when some of these individuals we're talking about um, are in this detention center mode, um, the fam their families or their associates or their relatives cannot afford to find the money for bail for them to be able to go back into the community. First of all, is that correct? And secondly, is that one of the challenges? Catherine? Um, yeah, you're raising some very interesting points about the bail systems. And, and interestingly enough, it really depends on the province whether a surety and a financial surety is in fact required in order to get people bail. For those jurisdictions where there is a financial surety, we should be looking at the other provinces that don't require it and, and, and trying to have a more uniform approach across the provinces uh, that, that lend to uh, better and more humane results. Um, so in some jurisdictions where they do have the surety requirement, you are going to have uh, uh, poverty and, um, and income issues really influencing um, decisions about whether people should be held in pretrial detention, and that's a real shame. That, to me, is really unfair. Right. Chris, please highlight for us what you see as the ways in which a national policy for Canada could help overcome the main challenges you know, facing the individuals living with mental health disabilities that actually require mental health care when the individuals concerned become involved with the criminal justice system. What are the ways forward there? Chris? Well, I mean, first of all, people would be getting and receiving rather treatment instead of incarceration. And even if incarcerated, uh, it would be more humane and just with adequate uh, treatment available. Um, and, you know, the question comes uh, many times, different conferences that I attend, you know, why, why does someone have to commit a crime to, to, to get some mental health services? And so, again, the reform has to be in two areas. Uh, one is in the criminal justice system and the other one is in mental health. And unless we do that, we're not going to solve this problem and, it's, and it'll just get worse and bigger. Now, Chris, um, I'm going to put, you, put a rather tough one to you. The Schizophrenia Society of Canada is um, an advocacy organization, as we've discussed, with a, a great deal of influence at the national level. Um, the mental health care system is, generally speaking, provincial, whereas some, at least, of the criminal justice system is up there at the federal level. How, how do you think that discrepancy or that differentiation can be handled? Chris? Well, that, that's a huge question and, and, and very challenging, and uh, I think Catherine could speak more forthrightly to it. But, it, 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 I mean, we've met with the correctional uh, investigator, Howard Sapers, and, uh, I mean, all his writings and reports and recommendations, uh, I, I don't think they were, I don't, I don't believe, to my knowledge, you know, they were acted upon by the, 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 the current uh, government. Um, so it's, it's, I mean, the federal government itself doesn't do a good job at all in terms of how it, it uh, handles mental health uh, all the, uh, for the services and departments that it uh, is accountable for in terms of uh, the RCMP, the Armed Forces, uh, the federal correctional system, uh, Aboriginal, Inuit, Indigenous uh, issues, peoples, rather. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, we've reached the stage once more where we're going to take the break. Um, we're going to be talking about where forward on the broad issues that you both have been identifying, because the point that you've both made very strongly is that, put it bluntly, something needs doing. And it's not just one thing, it's a range of things. So we'll do the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Catherine Latimer and Dr. Chris Somerville. You're listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune in to the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Schizophrenia Community Radio with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any suggestions, questions, or comments you'd like to share with him, please send them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's Doc, letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now back to Schizophrenia Community Radio. Welcome back to our listeners to Schizophrenia Community Radio and Catherine Latimer and Dr. Chris Somerville. Our topic is towards a national policy on decriminalizing mental illness in Canada. So the topic now is moving forward on a national policy for decriminalizing mental illness. Um, now, first of all, Catherine, please highlight for us what you see as the challenges that need overcoming if a national policy for Canada is to be created. Catherine? Well, sure. I think there are some key um, preconditions that would really help. And one is if there were 
uh, you know, more resources dedicated to this particular set of problems. Uh, I think there have been some very interesting and important groundwork that's been done by the Mental Health Commission and others, but there hasn't really been the resources available to really implement uh, it well. So I think, not all, but not only do we need to implement within the existing legislative and structural frameworks, I think we need to really take a look at at having all different legal options and a different legislative framework that would help us to deal more humanely and effectively and fairly uh, with people who have uh, mental health problems, particularly where they're coming in contact with the criminal justice system. We actually are very hopeful um, that this new government uh, will see this as a, uh, a priority area in terms of the need for uh, corrections reform. There's been a lot of litigation uh, against the government, uh, pointing out flaws and, and weaknesses uh, with the existing system. And we think a more comprehensive approach uh, that involves uh, people from different um, disciplines, federal, provincial, uh, medical, legal, uh, uh, family members, a whole gamut to really sit down, figure out what the problems are, and really come to terms with, with uh, making the recommendations necessary to move this forward. Right. Chris, it's exactly the same question. Please highlight for us what you see as the challenges that need overcoming if a national policy for Canada is to be created. Chris? Well, this is a very personal question for me because I had two brothers who spent time in prison and one had bipolar disorder and, and the other one schizophrenia. Um, I, I believe that we need a policy that's built on the, the, the five R's. I call them the five R's. Chris's five R's. And that policy would be built on the principle of, number one, restorative justice, number two, rehabilitation, number three, restitution, number four, recovery, because people can recover, learn to live beyond the limitations of mental illness. And the fifth one is a, more of a spiritual item, but I, I believe in it, and that's redemption. And uh, that's a powerful word, which uh, in the Greek originally meant to buy buy back a, a person, buy a person off the, the market uh, from slavery. Um, so I, I, when I first came to Canada in 1985, there, there seemed, to, we, as Canadians, we seemed to speak a little bit more about restorative justice and rehabilitation, but in the, the last decade, uh, it, it just seems like that all melted away. Right. Catherine, back to you. Please highlight for us what you see as the ways in which a national policy for Canada could be created and have you any immediate suggestions of things that could or should be done? Catherine? Um, well, again, I think it is, a, it is a big project and an important project. I think it's going to take a lot of players and a lot of effort to really come to terms with this particular set of issues, but I think it's really necessary to do it. In terms of national policy, I think the important thing is to, is to really recognize that not every incident needs to be treated as a criminal incident, and there are better and more effective and more humane ways to hold people to account and to provide them with the kind of treatment and support they need so that they can, um, you know, continue to be uh, law-abiding, safe members of the community. And to some extent, some of the R's that Chris had, had mentioned, uh, we, would, we would certainly 
support as a way of proceeding. But for us, one of the key immediate elements is to really stop doing some of the immediate harms that we are doing to people who get trapped in the criminal justice system, and particularly the correction system. So um, keeping people in administrative segregation who have a, a pre-existing mental health issue is for, is for us something that needs to change and something that needs to change immediately. And something that I'd like to see, and they have this in some other jurisdictions, is unfit to be detained. So if something happens to someone, not through the criminal justice process or not at the time that the offense was actually committed, but um, they start to have mental health issues as they're uh, as they're being detained, we should really be looking to see whether or not they continue to be fit to be detained or detained where they are being detained. Uh, some people, for example, with serious mental health issues should not be detained in places like the special handling unit uh, where they're, uh, if they're not a- immediately able to understand and follow instructions, um, this, the consequences can be quite serious for them. So I think we really need to look at uh, some immediate things as well as some longer-term things. Now, I want to go a little bit further than um, this by asking Chris to say, not only what he would like to see as the ways in which a national policy for Canada be created, but also his suggestions. And just to be a little bit provocative, the fact is in Canada, isn't it, is that the provincial jurisdictions have the more or less monopoly on healthcare systems. I'm an ex-federal bureaucrat and I was CEO of an organization that um, dealt with the um, healthcare of the provinces. And we eventually got to peace, but it was difficult because there was money, there was jurisdiction, and there was a question of where the responsibility begun and ended. So, Chris, please tell us about the, the ways in which you see a national policy could be created, given my rather provocative comments. Chris? Well, we in the mental health field have two weaknesses when you compare us to other advocacy groups or causes such as the John Howard Society, and that is, number one, we're too timid. We're uh, mild and timid when it comes to advocacy and uh, pressing our agenda. The second thing is we're too nice, and uh, we take a no uh, too easily. So we need to be louder. We need to be bolder. We need to be more strategic. Uh, we need to work more in partnership with organizations like the John Howard Society, the Elizabeth Fry Society. Uh, there is the Partners for Mental Health, which um, Mike Kirby uh, uh, started, and uh, it seeks to be a, a catalyst to create a grassroots social movement to enhance mental health services. And we need the same thing in terms of um, creating a better criminal justice uh, system. Uh, as well as a robust mental health system. So that, that would be my comment that, first of all, we've got to do a better job in our advocacy. Right. Now, to, going, to go back to Catherine, um, to me that sounds political. That is to say, um, collectivizing voices, getting the voices to be heard and understood and acted on, is in, involves politics 
with a small p. It also involves politics with a big p very often. Mm -hmm. First of all, Catherine, do you agree with me that there's a political element to all of this? And if so, how strong is it? And how do we mobilize the politics in the way that they need to be mobilized? Catherine? Um Sure. I think there, in any question like this where there's, there's existing laws and politics and, uh, sorry, laws and policies, that you have to, you have to mobilize and to, um, uh, to, to move forward fairly boldly if you're going to get any traction. If people don't understand that there's a problem, they're not going to do much to fix it. So it's really important to hammer away and say, this is the inhumanity that is being experienced by people. I think people relate to that when they actually see people like Ashley Smith or they know about Edward Snowshoes who committed suicide in a prison cell um, because of mental health issues. They respond. And uh, it's just that too much of it is, is going a little bit under the radar. And um, the capacity to respond to it is you know, often commensurate with the extent to which people understand and empathize with it as being a problem. So I think right. there's two elements to it. One, you have to have to raise the profile, make sure that people understand it's a problem, and uh, you have to you have to work with um, with those who are capable of addressing the problems to show them what the evidence suggests and what might be a, a more effective and better way of of dealing with that problem. So I think it it is both small p and big p political, um, but it's also I think a lot of people would would if they understood what was going on. And be very appreciative of seeing some some greater humanity in the system. Right, Chris. Money. Um, there's going to be in Canada at this time of talking apparently more money for many important things. Um, on the other hand, the provincial jurisdictions are tight with money. That is to say that. They have um, a lot to spend their money on, and deficits are starting to be a problem. So, Chris, what would be your view be? What would your question be that would not only support what Catherine just said about the collectivization and the prompting, but also the question of where the funding comes from? Chris? Well, funding is, is absolutely a necessity. It, it, you can write all the mental health strategies you want to. You can have all the policies, national policies uh, that you want to. But unless you put, put funding in place, um, nothing's going to get done. And, and so there has to be a commitment of funding if you want to make policy work and strategies real. And uh, unfortunately, um, again, uh, you know, the, the, the last uh, 10 years uh, with the government that we've had in Ottawa, uh, there was no real commitment to funding of mental health services, although it, it did, the conservative government did establish the Mental Health Commission of Canada, for which we're grateful. Um, but, yeah, you, you can't talk about policy and strategy and, unless you also talk about funding. Right. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time with this very important episode. Thanks to Catherine and Chris for the way in which you've spoken so openly, shared your own insights and given your opinions. And on behalf of everybody, to both of you, I wish you every success in continuing your important work. I want well, to say thank you. Very much. 
welcome. I want to say thank you to our listeners. And for anyone who wants to ask a question or make a comment, here's the mail, ad mail address to use, email address, docg at familycaregiversunite.org. So everyone, please join us for our next episode, Caring for Schizophrenia, Questions for the New Government of Canada. So let's all talk then. Thank you again for joining us for Schizophrenia Community Radio with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thank you for supporting Schizophrenia Community Radio. We hope you, too, have gained strength. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.